0: I want to talk today about transitions um, and how transitions in life can make things new. Um, Just think a little bit with me, try to enter into this space before we come into the Bible and what it has to say to us. Um, Think about the idea of transferring your citizenship from one country to another. That act gives the person who transfers, like if a refugee comes in and becomes a citizen of the United States, um, that new citizenship can mean new, obviously new privileges, new rights, right? Sometimes like just a, a sense of a new identity, that you're, you're different now because you're part of a new country. And all of that leads to a sense of, man, life is going to be different going forward. Life's going to be different, um, Sometimes we feel this, even just getting another job, like transitioning to a new job makes us feel this way. You know, you get a new boss, you're in a new workplace, you're in a new environment, there's new other employees, right? It just feels different to be in this place. And it can kind of make you feel like, at least in your work life, things are new, right? Things are different. Um, I know for me personally, transitions in my life where we've moved, obviously getting married, having children, um, getting a different job or moving from one type of work to a totally different kind of work. um, These often for me have been times where I've said, oh, wow, like here comes a big transition. What am I like now that's different from the last transition that I went through? Like What has God done? What things have changed for me? Um, And so these transitions really are opportunities um, for us to reflect on the differences that we experience and how we grow and change. And I think one of the... I mean, this is also true for us when we make the spiritual transition to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian um, is a new life. It's it's a radical transition because we are moving from... um, from living in whatever way that we were living before to now living in a relationship with God, uh, and now following Jesus. That affects everything. And so this is true. This kind of transition happens when we become Christians. Uh, it also happens for kids, um, kids who grow up in the faith, when they get to a place where they own the faith for themselves. Right, where it's not just mom and dad's faith, it's not just you know the faith of the people around me, or I was going to church. But when you own that faith for yourself, something significant happens. There's a major transition that happens, and it's all because of Easter. Right? Easter is the beginning of this transition. Right, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, is the ultimate transition. Right, Jesus's resurrection was his. It's like his inauguration ceremony, right? This is when Jesus is crowned king. It says in the Bible, Jesus was declared to be king. He was declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he became Lord of the world. He became the world's new leader, the new ruler, and he unleashed a power and a presence on all of the earth. And when we believe in him, when we believe that Jesus died and rose again for us, for our sins, when we commit to following Jesus as our king, he saves us. He saves us and he transitions us from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light and so when he saves us, our salvation is guaranteed, but it's incomplete. Okay? Our salvation is guaranteed, but it's incomplete. Philippians teaches us this, right? In a verse that um, a lot of people like to memorize, especially early on in their faith. Um, Philippians 1.6 says this. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God begins a good work in you when you believe in Jesus, when you become a Christian, when you own the faith. God begins a good work in you, but that work is not complete. God continues to work in you to bring about the completeness of his saving work. So it's guaranteed, but it's not complete. And so this means, Philippians 2, in the next chapter in that letter, says this, Philippians 2.12, it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And so we've talked about this in the, in the series, that God gives us this sort of spiritual muscle. He puts a muscle in us, and we've got to work out that muscle. We've got to exercise spiritually. And so the resurrection of Jesus, Easter, is an invitation to us to live a new life. It's an invitation for us to experience um, the whole life of, there's a whole life of doing that now comes for us as followers of Jesus where we are living out this new life that Jesus gives us. He gives us this new life and we live it out. And we live it out by the things that we do. And so Romans 6 is teaching us how to live out this new life. Romans 6 is teaching us to practice the new you. And so today we're going to look at Romans 6, where verses 13 and 14 are in your bulletin. we're only going to look at verse 13 today because there's too much there um, and I have limited time. So we're going to look at Romans 6, verse 13. Let's read this together. It's in your bulletin. It's going to be on the screens. Your bulletin also has a place if you want to write some things down and take notes. I would highly recommend that. I think there will be some things worth writing down. But this is what God's Word says to us today. It says... Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So there's a lot here in this verse. Uh, We're going to see three things that will let you practice the new you. First, number one, don't present your bodies to sin. Okay, that's the first point that we're going to see here. In this letter, sin is personified. Okay, personification is a literary term where you give something that's inanimate. You give an idea, a personality. You, you treat it like a person and sin is treated like a person in this letter. It's treated um, as a ruler with a kingdom that's here on earth. It's treated as someone that has power over us. And so this verse is saying, don't obey sin anymore. Okay, the idea is, look, don't go to sin and ask, how may I serve you? Don't do that. That's not consistent with a life of following Jesus. Um, presenting your members to sin, it's like going to sin and saying, Stephen Cooper, at your service, what would you have me do? You know, Your will is my command. That's what it means to present your members to sin. Why would you do that? right? Why would you do that? Why would I do that? Why do we do that? (laughs) Um, And yet, this is exactly what we do every day when we entertain sin-filled thoughts, Uh, when temptation comes and we snap, right? When we're in situations and we don't react the right way. We usually don't know. We We don't feel like we're saying, okay, sin, where would you like to take me today? How can I serve you? Usually that's not how we feel, that's not what we're conscious of. But when we make time for temptation, when we savor the taste of sin in our thoughts, in our hearts, um, when we roll the taste and the flavors of anger and jealousy, bitterness, gossip, uh, manipulating others, um, When we spend time with our lusts, I mean, all of this is us presenting ourselves to sin. That's what we're doing. We're presenting ourselves to sin. And this verse says, don't do that. Don't do that. And sometimes the commands come and we're like, well, yeah, great. You can say that, but how, right? Sometimes for me, so I want to invite you to think the way I do on this if you don't, but sometimes for me, just remembering, like, this is what I'm doing when I sin actually does keep me from wanting to do it, right? Thinking about the fact that here I am presenting myself as an obedient servant to sin. Like, wait, wait, I don't want to do that. Far be it from me. I don't want to do that. And so so it's saying just don't do that because sin will use you for unrighteousness. Okay, that's what it does. It uses you for unrighteousness. That's what the verse says. And unrighteousness, it's a, it's a really powerful word. It's become kind of a religious term, and we don't really, it's, it's a little bit heady. Um, it's, it's connected to so many things. It's really a powerful word. Um, unrighteousness is when we advantage ourselves to the disadvantage of others. That's what unrighteousness is. It's us serving ourselves in ways that don't serve others, that either take from others, that steal from others, that use others. That's what unrighteousness is. And this is what sin does. It puts us first in life. It puts us over everything and everyone else. And and the verse says, don't present your members to sin. And so this is referring, it's, it's talking about the members of your body, the different parts of who you are. Um, and so it's, it's, it would be like, don't present your mind to sin, meaning your thoughts, right? Don't present your thoughts and the capacity that you have to think. Don't spend your time thinking in ways that sin would want you to think, right? Don't present your mouth to sin. This involves your words, and the words that you use, you can present your mouth to sin and obey it. Don't do that. Uh, don't present your hands to sin. Your hands could be like how you, what you do, the things you do, and how you treat other people. Don't present your eyes to sin. What you look at, what you pay attention to, what you focus your gaze on, what's important to you is often indicated by what you're looking at, what you spend time looking at. Um, And God is saying, look, see what you're doing here in all the different ways of your life and all the different members of your body. You have the capacity to present them to sin and obey sin. Stop. Stop. So this is our first point. Don't present your bodies to sin. Um, Our second point is that we need to remember Jesus presented you to God. Okay, point two, remember Jesus presented you to God. And so this here, this, this section of this verse, it's a call to remember the gospel. And I love this. I love this because Paul doesn't just immediately command the opposite that he just forbade. You know, you'd think that's what he would do and he does do that, but he sticks something in between. He puts something in between. He reminds us of who we are first. And this is a gospel reality that you have to remember we always have to remember this. He says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. He's saying, remember that because of Jesus, Jesus has presented you to God as one who has been changed. Okay, and so I know what it can be like. Oftentimes we walk into the presence of God and we think, And sometimes we pray, God, I come to you as one who is enslaved to sin. God, I come to you broken and lifeless. God, I come to you unworthy. Right? And in these ways, we're trying to reflect a humility that's willing to be honest about how far short we fall. Right? But Jesus steps in, and Jesus says, Father, I present this child of yours as someone who has been brought from death to life. Can you receive that this morning? Do you realize that when Jesus welcomes you into God's presence, he embraces you and then he presents you as one who's been brought from death to life. Jesus knows who you are. It's easy for us to forget, isn't it? I was talking to somebody just this week, and and they started reading the Bible um, about a year and a half ago, and they wanted to try to understand the message of Jesus, and um, and so we've been studying the Bible together, and this week she said, you know, it's funny because I have new desires I didn't have before. I think about things differently. I have a new perspective that includes God, who is now so much bigger. She's like, "I, I believed in God before, but now it's hard to see. like he's now so much bigger than than i used to think he was and god's name is jesus and i said you've been brought from death to life like god is working in you this good work has begun and god is continuing to work his work in you and it's it's so important that we remember this, that Paul in this verse, he wants to remind us of this before he calls us to obey God. Okay. Before the call to obedience is a reminder of who you are. And that's like, that's gospel 101, 201, 301, and 401. Like you can never leave that. You never want to stop believing and understanding that because when we lose that, something else happens. When we lose that, we think we have to earn something with God. We think God won't love us if we don't change. Um, I was talking to somebody else, meeting with a friend, um, and he's wrestling with how to follow Jesus as a gay man. And we've been talking about what the Bible says and how the church has really corrupted the message of Jesus to the gay community both by being anti-gay and by being pro-gay. In our church, we have this understanding of there's this third way that would call both of those errors uh, to stop and to follow Jesus. And as we were talking through this, I mean, it's incredibly delicate. It's incredibly complicated. Um, I realized, though, that um, there are different times when God gives us different truths that meet the needs of our hearts um, in the ways that they are different. Um, there are times when God asks us, to give up the things that we think are most important to us. right? There are times when God seems to put his finger or orients the circumstances in our lives where we have to decide that we're going to give to God the thing that we think is most important to us. I mean, the story of Abraham and Isaac is a biblical story that calls, that calls this to mind. Um, and he does this because... It gives us the opportunity to show Him and to show ourselves that God is more important to us than anything else. I mean, anything. Right? No matter what it is, God comes first. I mean, that is such an empowering experience to go through that process, to be challenged with something that you want and have to give it up for God. Um, it's really healthy for our spiritual lives to know, without a doubt, that God really is first. Okay, And when we do that, this again, this is, it's a very empowering experience. And so there are times when God leads us in that way, and the emphasis, the theme of God in our lives is to push us so that we will come to that place where we put him first. Sometimes God has a different emphasis in how he is shepherding our hearts. Sometimes God has a different focus um, in our lives. Um, you know, it's uh, like one of the illustrations that we talked through was that you know, if someone is coming into the emergency room with a gunshot wound and they're, 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 they're in danger of bleeding out from their abdominal cavity, um, if the ER doctor would notice that the patient on the table has a broken ankle, and would rush to try to fix the break and, and to reset the ankle. That'd be stupid. It'd be foolish, right? I mean, nobody in their right mind would do that because if this is a life-threatening, you know, life-threatening injury, you fix that first, right? Well, so sometimes God's emphasis in our lives is that we would learn and we would reinforce and experience that God loves us before we make any progress of spiritual growth in our lives. There are so many people who don't understand that. And these are people that need to know, they need to understand that God wants us to live with assurance that in our struggles, God loves us. He doesn't love us only when we fix ourselves, right? He doesn't love us, you know, it's not that he withholds his love until we overcome our struggles. Um, And there are moments, there are moments when God just wants us to know, look, we will deal with everything. But first, you're my child. First and foremost, I love you. Um, When the prodigal son came home, the father ran down the road to see him. And the son had a speech prepared. He had a speech that he'd been working on. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And, And the father interrupts him and says, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Shoes for his feet because slaves are barefoot. Put them on. Get a ring for his hand because he is my son and we're going to celebrate. And this is the heartbeat of God. This is his love for us that embraces us and celebrates before anything else is addressed. Both of these realities are important, but this is why Paul gives us gospel assurance before. He tells us who we are, that we are those who have been brought from death to life before he calls us to do anything. Okay. And so that's the second point is to remember, remember Jesus presented you to God blameless with great joy. So our third point is then present your bodies to God. Now we present our bodies to God. So again, we don't go to sin on the throne, but we go to God on his throne, and we say, how may I serve you? The questions that we stop asking sin, we now ask God, right? Father, I am Stephen Cooper. I am at your service. What can I do for you today? I mean, this is what it's saying. This is what the text is saying. When we do this, presenting yourselves to God, it produces righteousness, right? The opposite of unrighteousness. And again, the definition, just in reverse. Righteousness is you being willing to disadvantage yourself for the advantage of others. It's to make yourself less so that others might be made more. It's to serve other people in your family, in your workplace, your friends, your neighbors. And again, the verse says, present your members to God. Again, the members are the parts of your body. So present your mind to God. It involves your thoughts. Think God's thoughts after him. Uh, Present your mouth to God. Let your words reflect his truth and love. Present your hands to God, how you treat others and the things that you do. Present your eyes to God. Offer your eyes to God as willing servants. God, I want to look at what you want me to look at. I want to gaze and focus and pay attention to who you are and what you're doing and your perspectives in my life, in the world, in the people around me. We have choices every day, all day long. And and the question is, who will you present yourself to? That's what this verse is getting at. Don't present your members to sin for unrighteousness, but present your members to God for righteousness. Um, The last thing in this passage um, was shocking to me when I first read it. I didn't believe it at first. And then now it's sort of become, it's sort of exploded into something that's, it's, it's, it's revolutionary. Um, I was studying this passage in college. So this is a long, 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 long time ago. Um, I was in a Bible study and we were going through the book of Romans. And there was this Russian gal in our study. Her name was Svetlana. She was always at the study, but she hardly ever, like she never said anything. She had an accent, so maybe that was part of it. Um, but she just hardly ever shared anything. And when we were studying this verse, we're talking about this verse, we're we're wrestling through it, we're talking about how to apply it to our lives, she spoke up. And uh, she was confused because in her translation, she had a Russian translation of the Bible. And in her translation, she said, she's like, she said, my version says, do not present your members to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. And then present your members to God as weapons for righteousness. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I wonder why it says that. <laughs> you know, and so I went back and looked and, um, and she was right. She was right. Every other place in the Bible where this word is used, it's actually translated weapons. And so let me just show you a couple of them from 2 Corinthians. Um, In 2 Corinthians 10.4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then 2 Corinthians 6, verses 6 and 7. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And there's other places too, like when Judas shows up in the garden with Jesus to to arrest him, it says they showed up with weapons. Right? And so... So this verse is actually saying, do not present your members to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as weapons for righteousness. What does this mean? Friends, this means that life is war. I mean, in the church... We talk about blessing and God's goodness and his grace. We talk about the goodness of God, right? And how wonderful things can be if you just follow Jesus and abundant life. And this is one of these passages that it seems like the translators might have even glossed over the reality here, that life is war, that life is difficult, that this is not always a simple choice. I mean, although it is. Right? It's a simple choice. Who are you going to obey? Who are you going to present yourself to? But what's at stake here? This is war. This is war. There are two kingdoms on earth. Both sin and God are reigning over kingdoms that are at war with each other. And both kingdoms are trying to extend their boundaries into the other's domain. Both kingdoms are trying to take over the world. And the weapons that each uses are people. And so every time we make a decision, we become a weapon for one side or the other. Every time we make a decision about how we're going to treat someone else, of how we're going to act, how we're going to speak, even what we're going to think about, we become a weapon for one kingdom or the other. Now, what sin does, um, when sin uses us as weapons, um sin says to us, usually it it doesn't initially say you should try to do the greatest evil that you could possibly do. That's not usually sin's tack, at least not at the beginning. Sin typically begins with saying to us, you know what, you matter. You matter. How you feel is important and how you think is important. And the reality is that nobody else understands what it's like to be you. No one knows how much you're suffering. No one knows how difficult it is to be you. No one knows how hard it is and what you have to deal with. And so it's okay for you to react these ways. Like it's understandable. I mean, come on, look at all that you've been through. Anybody who really understood your perspective um, wouldn't blame you for reacting in these ways. Wouldn't blame you for lashing out Wouldn't blame you for medicating your pain. Wouldn't blame you for coping the way that you do. Sin says, look, life has to be about you because nobody else understands. Nobody else is taking care of you the way that you need to be taken care of. The problem's Man, they're not you. They're out there. Like, if other people could understand, man, how hard it is for you, then maybe things would get better. Right? This is not you. It's them. Relationships. Like, you need to get what you... You have needs, and those needs are legitimate. It's okay. Like, we all need to feel heard. We all need to feel loved, don't we? And so relationships... They're about you absorbing life from other people. It's about you taking the praise and the affirmation. It's about you being served by others because like you deserve it. It starts this way, um, and it increasingly hardens us and makes us not just want these things, but it makes us begin to demand these things. We want what we want and the way that we want it. And this leads us down a path of increasingly sucking the life from people around us because we feel like we need it. We need the approval. We need the obedience. We need the respect. Um, friends, like, this is not God's way. This is not how God has designed the world. It's not the way that God has designed us. This is not how God himself is. God is different from that. God, from the beginning is life-giving. Life comes out of God and into others. Life comes out of God and into the world. Right? God, from the beginning, made the world to be teeming with life, and he made life-giving plants and animals, creatures, and ultimately human beings. God has continued to give life to this world. He's continued to sacrifice himself, to disadvantage himself for our advantage. He did it in creation and he does it in redemption, even after the fall, after we turned our back on him and became, I mean, I don't want this to sound too harsh, but I think if you look inside, you'll see this. When we became life-sucking creatures, God continued to give and came in Jesus to give the ultimate sacrifice, to literally give his entire life for us. And when we're gripped by that reality, that Jesus came and what he took was the sin of the world. What he took for himself was our sins, right? Through his sacrificial death, through him offering himself in love. His resurrection was him receiving eternal life from God the Father. God honored and exalted Jesus because of his great act and made him Lord over a new kingdom, over a new humanity that was going to fill the world, that would run and operate according to the character of God. So that people who would join his kingdom would become weapons of God. And if sin turns us into weapons by sucking life from around us, what kind of weapons does God use? What does it mean to be a weapon for God? Well, 2 Corinthians 6 6 and 7. God's weapons are purity, knowledge, Patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God. Like these are the weapons of God on the right hand, for the right hand and for the left. And so in all of these ways, like God's weapons are life-giving. God's weapons are life-giving. Now, how do you do this? How do you become someone who is absolutely committed to giving your life for others? I think the only way to do it is to be filled with God himself. Like the only way is if you're united to Jesus and if you have his life flowing through your veins. If you have his, if you have his spirit present in you. You can do this for a while, but you will get tired, you will get frustrated, you'll get cranky. But if Jesus is there, he is an unending, inexhaustible supply of life giving love. And so we need him. We need him. If you haven't committed to Jesus, you need him in order to be this kind of person. Um, And the great news is that he gives us this as a gift. For those of you who are Christians and you're like, oh man, I feel tired. Well, We've got to spend time with Jesus. It's when we spend time with him that he fills us up. And so um, for us, I mean, the application is simple. At the beginning of the day, rehearse this verse, right? Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, say, I am not going to present myself to sin as a weapon for unrighteousness but I'm going to present myself to God as one who's been brought from death to life and I'll present my members to God as weapons for righteousness. If you do that at the beginning of the day, if you spend time in the presence of God just rehearsing this verse, it will transform you. You'll have a moment that will last. Maybe it'll last five minutes. (laughs) Maybe it'll last four hours. I don't know. Maybe it'll last all day. Um, If it fades, do it again. Remember this verse again. Like, oh, wait, I'm not presenting my life to sin. I'm not presenting my members to sin, but I'm presenting myself to God because he's changed me. So let's rehearse this verse this week at the beginning of every day and then in the moment of temptation. And it's been so encouraging for me when temptation comes, as I've been getting ready for this sermon, just to be able to, when temptation, when the thoughts come, those thoughts that I will dwell on, those thoughts that take hold of me, that lead me to bitterness or anger or frustration or lust, to be able to say, no, I'm not giving myself to sin. I'm going to give myself to God. I mean, this is what brings us new life. So let's walk in this this week. Let's experience this this week. No to sin. Yes to God. Because Jesus said yes to your sin so that God would say yes to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess. We confess that we have presented our bodies, our lives, our members to sin. And we're turning from that. We're turning again to you. And so rescue us and remind us that you have brought us from death to life and help us to take the simple act of presenting ourselves to you, saying, Jesus, we want to honor you. We want to follow you. Help us to do that this week every morning and in the moments of temptation. And Jesus, for those who are here and they haven't committed to you yet, draw them near so that they would become weapons of your glorious kingdom of love and peace and joy so that they might give life to others. Let them commit to you, confess their sins and find life in your name. Amen.